today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Don't ever think when you're witnessing to somebody who's disagreeing with you, somehow your slick little presentation or your words are somehow going to convert their soul because that's just not going to happen. It's only by the grace of God. It's only when we take the word of God and, and speak it into people's lives for them to hear that God transforms their heart. He leads them. He grants them repentance. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Hi there. Welcome to our program today. We have started a series in the book of Romans. The Man and the Message is the title of our message today. We're looking at Paul the Man as a slave of Jesus Christ and some of the characteristics of who a slave of Jesus Christ really is. Join us here now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Once again, Pastor Steve Converse. We're not involved in ministry just to be people pleasers. First of all, it would be impossible <laughs> to please everybody all the time. You just would. You'd lose your mind. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul addresses this. He says, for I am now seeking the, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He asked the question. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, the Apostle Paul says, I would not be a slave of Christ. I mean, there was a lot of people who were unhappy with the Apostle Paul. Very unhappy. Think about it. Here he is, this Pharisee who was out there persecuting Christians on behalf of his religious beliefs. And all of a sudden, he's transformed into this radical Christian. And now he's actually preaching the message that came out of the, the mouths of the ones that he executed. I mean, that's pretty radical. His people around him didn't like that. The religious leaders didn't like that. He made people very unhappy. He, he made them so unhappy at one point in, outside of Lystra, they decided to build a, a monument of stones on top of Paul. <laughs> they stoned him. Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 5 and 8 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would what? Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is Slave or free. See, this really emphasizes the subordinate, obligatory, responsible nature of service that we should have in our lives in relationship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The slave owns, owes his master, the slave owes his master exclusive and absolute obedience. When he did these things, his work didn't, earn him a you know, clap or praise or anything like that. He was only doing what he was owed as a slave. Jesus Christ had bought Paul with his own blood. And so Paul was no longer his own. But he belonged exclusively to Christ to do his will. And for Paul, Christ was the center of his life. Everything he did, he passed through that filter. Does God want me to do this or not? 
It's not just up to me. And so Paul was no longer his own. You just look at how many times he refers to Christ there in this first chapter over and over and over again, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his name's sake, Jesus Christ. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, Jesus my exclusive master because he bought me with his own blood? Do I view my daily life as not my own, but belonging to Jesus who, and to serve him? Do I seek to obey him beginning even at the thought level of my life? Is he central to my thoughts, my words, and my activities? All those things are important that we answer those questions. And that's, that's basically my understanding of, of Paul's master and his relationship to the Lord. Well, thirdly here, we see Paul's mandate in verse 1. Paul's mandate, it says, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. Isn't it interesting? Paul didn't take a vocational aptitude test <laughs> before he became an apostle. They didn't sit down with him, the career counselor, and say, you know what? You'd be make a great apostle just by your answers and everything. No, he didn't do that. Rather, he was pursuing his own religious career at the time, rising up through the ranks of Judaism, persecuting the church. And that's when God knocked him down and God saved him. And God commanded him in Acts chapter 22, get up and go into Damascus and there you'll be told all that has been appointed for you to do. I don't know about you, but there's something about the idea that God has a plan, has a purpose for us. That we don't just get saved, and after we're saved, we just kind of flounder around. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God saves you with a purpose in mind. He's gifted you. He's gifted you spiritually. He's gifted you in the area of talents. He doesn't save you just to warm a pew on Sunday morning once a week. And say you're a Christian and kind of do whatever you want to do when you leave these four walls. That's not why God saved you. No, God saved you to serve him. In the New Testament church, when people got saved, they got saved radically. I mean, it it tells us that they went from house to house daily. Enjoying the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship. I mean, if we make it out once a week on a Sunday morning, we think we're doing pretty good. Can you imagine if we had meetings every night? If we had services every night? Had fellowship every day with each other? I think a lot of us would say, I, I like you, but I don't know if I like you that much, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we put our priorities on the table and they're just all messed up. I mean, we complain if we're expected to come out once or twice a week to church. And even then we don't do it. And a lot of times we don't do it because, well, there's nothing in it for me. I've heard that before. I've heard this before. That's not the purpose. That's not why they gathered together in the New Testament church. They gathered together is to, to, to have that fellowship, to build each other up. And what happened here with Paul, it says he's a called apostle. He was an apostle not sent from men. He wasn't put together as an agency of men. The other disciples didn't say, well, that guy would be good to have on our team. Let's let's put together a little uh, uh, kind of a team and we'll see if we can recruit him. And when he says, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? No, he says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. That word 
in the, in the original Greek really has the, the basic meaning of someone who is sent. It refers to someone who's officially commissioned by an authority to a certain position or task. Kind of like in our modern government, you would think of ambassadors that way. Whenever they have a new president, you know, they always bring in these new ambassadors. And it's kind of a cushy job, you think about it. You go over in a foreign country, you live life of royalty, basically. Everything's paid for. Nowadays, it could cost your life, though, as we so recently found out. But it's kind of got a lot of, um, you know, stigma to it. Back then, cargo ships were sometimes called apostolic because they were dispatched with a certain specific shipment for a specific destination. That word apostle appears some 79 times in the New Testament. And it's used just a couple times in general, in a non-technical sense. Now, we say, well, aren't we all technically apostles? Well, it can refer to all believers because every believer is sent into the world as a witness of Christ, right? So I would say apostle with a little a refers to all believers. We're all basically sent on a commission by God. But apostle with a capital, you had to have certain criteria true in your life. When we're talking about the 13 men who served as apostles, Matthias replacing Judas and Paul, these are people who met certain qualifications. First of all, they were all directly called by Jesus. Jesus directly appointed them as apostles. They didn't have a dream about it. No, Jesus literally came to them. That's why Paul says, I'm an apostle born out of due time. I, I, didn't, I wasn't there with the other guys, but you know what? Jesus made a special trip back from heaven and he met me on the road to Damascus. Therefore, I, I'm called to be an apostle. The other thing that's kind of interesting is they were all eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Paul having encountered him on the road to Damascus after his ascension. They were also given, all 13 apostles were given direct revelation of God's word to proclaim authoritatively. They were also given something that we, we, we know as the gift of healing. They had the power to cast out demons, the word of God says. And all those signs, those supernatural signs were given to them as a way of authorizing them as being from God, verifying who they were. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says that these apostles' teachings, these direct revelations from God that they were having, basically laid down the foundation of the church. That's why we believe today that apostles with a capital A are no longer around because we don't need the foundation of the church to be relayed again, over again. So when you hear people standing in front of other people saying, I'm an apostle of God, thus saith the Lord, as if God is somehow supernaturally working through them, giving them direct revelation, my suggestion to you is run. That's a false teacher. That's a heretical teacher. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people like that in the church today. God uses his word. It's, it's the canon is closed. He doesn't give us new truth. So whenever you hear somebody say that, recognize that, that they're probably a false prophet. Even back in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah saw that there was imposters. The Lord said of such imposters, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. 
See, they're claiming to be from God, but they're not. And unfortunately, some religious leaders not only give no evidence of being called by God to preach and to teach in his name, but they give even less evidence, in my mind, of being saved. You hear some of these people that are supposed to be the reverend whoever you fill in the name, and you're thinking, what reverend are you a reverend of? What church are you a reverend of? They have no church. They're just in the political thing, and, but they, they, they use the word reverend or they use the word pastor. So when applied to the 12 and to Paul, the apostle carried this special authority. And it is very important that we understand that was his mandate. He was, it was something that God gave him. He didn't sit down one day and say, ah, I think I'll change up my act a little bit and do away with this Pharisee thing and become a Christian. And That's not what happened. And, and the, the truth here for us, beloved, is we have to ask ourselves, is my heart in submission to what God has revealed here through his called apostle Paul? Is my heart in submission to it? Am I willing to listen to it? Am I willing to hear it? He was a called apostle. Fourthly, his mission, it says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. He was set apart for the gospel of God. What's interesting, you do a little word study on that phrase, set apart. And it's actually related in Greek to the word Pharisee. That was Paul's former association. That was Paul's former profession. And the Pharisees, when you think of the Pharisees, they proudly viewed themselves as what? Separated from everybody else. They wore different clothes. They had an attitude. That's why in the New Testament you hear the Pharisees say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that individual over there in the corner praying. They were set apart or separate from the, the common Jews. And especially from the Gentiles, which they referred to as dogs. See, but now, ironically, you look at what God has done in Paul's heart. God has set him apart for what? To preach the riches of Christ. And he, not just to anybody, but to the literal Gentiles whom he formerly hated. Can you imagine that? In Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, he says that God had set him apart from his mother's womb. And called him by his grace so that he might preach Christ among the Gentiles. That's why in 1 Corinthians 9.23, Paul said, I do all things for the sake of what? The gospel. All things for the sake of the gospel. See, we should be growing in our lives to imitate Paul's desire here. So our lives are focused more and more on the gospel first for our own souls, and then to proclaim it to others. So ask yourselves the question, do I increasingly view my life as set apart for the gospel? I mean, that's why God saved you. That's his plan, that's his purpose, so that you could share the gospel with others. The question is, are we doing it? Are we doing it actively? Are we doing it regularly? Are we doing it in an authentic way? And then we come, lastly, here to his message. The message of Paul, he simply says, the gospel of God. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You do your little word study here, you realize that of God is in the genitive nature, which means that it, it, the gospel comes from God. Isn't that a blessing? That this gospel isn't something we made up? 
It's not some message that somebody just sat down and said, oh, let's come up with some good news. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it's Peter's sermon here at Pentecost. Look at verse 23, Acts 2, 23. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He devised a plan before the foundation of the world, beloved. This wasn't God's reaction to Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. He didn't, after they ate of the fruit, go, oh no, what am I going to do now? I guess I've got to come up with a plan. No. It was already devised. It was already planned. It was already purposed. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28... It says this, for truly in this city they, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius, Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The gospel of God is not a reaction from God. It's a plan and a purpose anchored in all eternity. And he makes this very clear in his first sentence. He, he doesn't want anybody to have any confusion regarding the specific good news about which he is speaking. He didn't want anybody to get confused in Romans when he was writing this letter to them that somehow this is something that's coming from Paul. No, he says that he is called to be an apostle, apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Not the gospel of Paul. This wasn't Paul's good news. This was God's good news. That word... The gospel, the good news, really relates back to that time when a, a leader would have a proclamation and he would send out some, some news out and they would herald it out into the, the cities and the villages. And it, you would know it was not the, the guy who was telling you that. It was not his message. It was someone else's message. There were generally favorable events. You see the old time movies and things like that. Somebody comes into the town, hear you, hear you, you know, that, it's that kind of a deal. Now, especially because he was writing to believers in the Roman capital, Paul wanted to make sure that his, his readers understood the good news that he proclaimed was an entirely different nature than the trivial proclamations concerning some emperor or leader or king. The fact that it was of God meant that God was the source of it. It was not man's good news, but it was God's new, good news for man. The question that I found myself asking was, I wondered why God would condescend to bring good news to a world that rejects and scorns him. Why would God do that? I mean, when you look at the nature of man, I would say no one deserves to hear this good news, much less be saved by it. The preacher that I mentioned earlier, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who did such a wonderful work on Romans he told a fascinating story about a, a Frenchman who was dearly loved by his mother. But early on in his life, he fell into immorality. And he was greatly fond of an unprincipled woman. <laughs> and she was fond of him. And eventually she managed to gain his total devotion. And when the mother sat down with this French boy to try to draw her son away from that wicked and debased association with this woman. 
The other lady became enraged. And she railed at the young man, accusing him of not truly loving her and insisting that he demonstrate his commitment to her by getting rid of his mother. I mean, you can't imagine such a thing. And the man resisted until a night when, in a drunken stupor, he was persuaded to carry out this horrible plan. And according to the story, the man rushed from the room to his mother's house nearby. He brutally killed her, and he even cut out her heart to take to this vile companion as proof of his wickedness. And as he rushed from this grievous act, he stumbled and he fell, upon which the bleeding heart is said to have cried out, My son, are you hurt? Donald Gray Barnhouse commented, he says, That is the way God loves. See, Paul himself was living proof of God's great love, his great mercy, his great Wonderful grace. And though even he opposed Christ and he persecuted the church, God had made him the church's chief spokesman. It's hard to turn to a page in the New Testament without turning to a letter of Paul. He could imagine no greater role than being set apart to God for the proclamation of his gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ. Perhaps this is one of the reasons he was so effective. I mean, who knew better than the Apostle Paul just how good the good news really was? 1 John chapter 4 puts it this way, in this is love, not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be a propitiation for our sins, satisfaction for our sins. See, the gospel, beloved, is all about God. It's both, he is both its source and its object. The gospel is about how we as sinners can be rightly related to the holy God through the sacrifices of his own son. It's about how God can both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I like the way John Piper puts it. He says, God is the gospel. God is the gospel. He's the treasure that we receive when we believe the good news that Jesus died for our sins. When you stop and you think about that, you have to ask yourself the question, am I growing to know this God who loves me so much more deeply or am I just stagnant? Do I understand that I'm called to be a slave of Christ? That I don't have the right to just go do whatever I want to do when I want to do it? Do I understand that I'm called to live in total submission to the master? That we have no rights of our own? Do we understand that we're to honor our earthly master at all times, not just on Sunday morning? That he requires us to be kind to all, not quarrelsome? That we serve not to get a slap on the back or a good job, but we serve to please God, not man? We need to embrace what we've spoken about here this morning. I think that if more Christians embrace what Paul truly embraced, I think the world would be a much different place. The church definitely would be a much different place because we would be living for Christ and not our own desires, our own will. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.